Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Namchak here, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Today, we are doing a, uh, a new exercise for us, I believe. We are going to take a look at some players who uh, are stars in their roles, as Stephen would like to say. Um, I think our official working title for this is, was it Beyond the Stats All-Stars? Is that right? Yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. Uh, a good description of what we're going for here. Just players who, you know, their numbers maybe don't jump out at you on a surface level or maybe are even just kind of flat out disappointing in terms of, you know, their scoring or their efficiency. Um, but bringing, you know, certain elements to their teams that we think are still kind of helping them, you know, helping the basketball team that they're on in whatever role that they're in here. So, yeah, the one thing I want to mention before we get started here is that uh, all of these stats, first of all, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge for us because if you're familiar with our pod, we do love talking about stats. Um, so if we're talking about beyond the stats here, or at least beyond the basic stats, that's it, it's a challenge for us as well, but it's a fun challenge. Um, now we're recording this on uh, Sunday, June 12th, and there are plenty of WNBA games being played today. So I don't know about Steven, but for my, the players that I'm going to be talking about, I'm just going to act like today's games didn't exist. So um, yeah, all the stats were taken from before June 12th. Is that the same case for you? Yeah, pretty much every stat I have is okay. for, as of like this morning before any games were played. Okay, so no, so we're, we're just ignoring today's games and uh, we're going to jump right into it. Steven has four candidates. I have three. Uh, so would you like to lead us off here? Sure. I'll go with the first player I had, kind of the uh, the inspiration for this, uh, this exercise, if you will. And that would be the Liberty Zone Crystal Dangerfield. I think it's been well documented that she has, you know, been a, a, an important part of the Liberty playing better as of late. Um, but, you know, the surface level numbers, as we were kind of uh, alluding to before, four points per game on 32% true shooting in 209 minutes with the Liberty uh, but as of uh, as of Friday or I guess uh, before Friday. So th- this is even a little bit older than that. But she, I just just kind of brought a, a poise and sort of a natural point guard ability to this team that that they were kind of. I mean, I am not in the Sabrina Ionescu as a two guard camp as some some other people might be, but still, Dangerfield brought a little bit of kind of more natural point guard um, experience to this roster. One thing you you like saying is that uh, the more ball handlers or the more playmakers are on the floor, uh, the more driving of efficient offense you have on the floor. And I think that could definitely be said for Crystal Dangerfield. Um, Just because she's not scoring the ball very efficiently doesn't mean she's not kind of taking that burden off the shoulders of other players, particularly UNESCO, right? Yeah, the team as a whole, I think you you can just kind of see the flow of the offense um, just going a little bit better when, when she's out there as opposed to, you know, the before times before she was signed to the hardship the ball moves a little better, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit crisper, a little bit faster. The The overall turnover numbers for the team are down considerably when she's on the court as well, which is a big deal for a team that cannot stop throwing the ball to the other team. Even her own individual turnover numbers are not amazing, but it just kind of alleviates the ball handling pressures and the playmaking pressures on those other players who I think were overtaxed um Sabrina, you know, whether it's just bringing the ball up the court or Sammy Whitcomb moving from a more of a off guard, you know, floor spacing type of role to to having to do more of a, a point guard role, which I just don't really think is is her strength, quite frankly. So even if Dangerfield's shooting kind of regresses positively, um, the Liberty it did bring in a player recently uh, who needs no introduction to Stephen uh, Marine Johannes. Do you think Dangerfield is still going to get those on ball reps with Johannes in the fold? Probably a little bit less. I mean, she she closed the game today as of Sunday with Johannes out there. Uh, they closed the game with Dangerfield, Sabrina, and Johannes uh, with, with, I guess, Maureen sort of nominally being the, the three. But, you know, she is, I guess, when you kind of look at their four guards, Sabrina, Sammy Whitcomb, Maureen Johannes, Crystal Dangerfield, I, I would probably put her fourth just in the pecking order, but the coaching staff seems to trust her. And, you know, she's given them kind of the intangible things that you sort of need out of uh, a point guard. And the other thing is, you know, prior to Marine coming over, like she just gave them a player who can just like beat her player off the dribble without needing a screen. Like, I feel like they didn't really have a ball handler who was just faster than the player guarding them. You know what I mean? That's a good point. That's a good point. If you have a player who can get into the paint without a screen, that just opens it up for everyone else, particularly, you know, I, I'm really interested to see if they play Johannes and Dangerfield together because Johannes, even though she is a very gifted playmaker, she can also really shoot it. Um, and Dangerfield's uh, really no slouch out there from the perimeter either. I'd expect her to at least 
get her three-point shot going a little bit more. So that that backcourt may not be any great shakes defensively, but suddenly it seems like the Liberty are, Liberty are presented with a lot of different options as far as guard tandems, and there aren't really many that really lack that playmaking and that passing ability. Whereas, as you said, prior to this signing, this hardship signing, before Dangerfield got there, when it was pretty much just UNESCO and maybe a little bit of Sammy Woodcomb handling the ball, they were having a really, really tough time, you know, either getting paint touches through dribble penetration, getting good three-point looks for via kickouts, just really struggling offense. And now it seems like they're they're playing a lot better. And, and I agree, it's um, large in part to just having another pure point guard on the floor. And I do think they could even stand to do a little bit more with Crystal Dangerfield off the ball. Um, granted, she has not been shooting it particularly well. She was only two for 21 from three in a Liberty uniform before hitting a couple today against the sky. But, you know, she's a pretty established three-point shooter, you know, 34.5% her first two seasons. And, you know, she stands pretty deep behind the line as well. A part of that is because she has to, to not get her shot blocked <laughs> on closeouts. But she really does space the floor, I think. And we've seen Dangerfield's presence open up things for Sabrina. Sabrina, in her own right, 62% true shooting since Crystal Dangerfield joined the team. I, I don't think that's all Crystal Dangerfield's doing, but it's certainly notable that it's kind of put Sabrina in easier positions to kind of capitalize and, and stuff like that. But um, I think, you know, Dangerfield has been on the ball a lot and brings brings more than just kind of having to be just kind of, you know, your primary ball handler all the time. That's a good point, because if you look at, you know, part of the reason why her time, I think, ended in Minnesota, it was she was doing a lot of that ball handling, you know, like maybe a little too much of it, too much offensive initiation. Whereas in New York, if she's kind of splitting those reps with UNESCO, they kind of mask each other's offensive deficiencies, don't they? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think they, they you know, defensive uh, issues aside for the both of them, honestly. Um, offensively, they, they can complement each other pretty well. Okay, quick question for you. How does this change when, I'll, I'll say if, unfortunately, but if when Benajelani comes back to the lineup? Because, you know, she's going to want the ball in her hands a lot as well. I mean, hopefully, it. I, Dangerfield is probably the one that, uh, she, sorry, I shouldn't say hopefully because I, I kind of changed thoughts mid-process, but Dangerfield is the one that I think we'll see the most in the minutes reduction, and, and maybe she they won't even kind of figure out a way to keep her on the team once they have their whole team healthy because she is on, on a hardship signing True. right now. Yeah, You know, I'm not sure there's like a, an obvious candidate for a player that this team wants to, you know, kind of move on from in favor of Crystal Dangerfield, but you know, hopefully it's just a little bit more of like playing smaller and, and playing with one traditional. I think all of their best players aside from, you know, I think Howard has played better and, and Hanzu is definitely a really exciting player. But, you know, I, I don't know, like most of their eight best players are perimeter based players. So you, you kind of yeah. do what you can to get your best players on the floor together. OK, yeah. Here at the Double Down, we are big fans of coaches just playing their best players. Uh, who do you got first on your list? Okay, uh, first player I thought of, well, wasn't the first player I thought of, but the first player I'm going to talk about is Kayla Thornton, forward for the Dallas Wings. I think a player who has kind of fit this description for a while now, going back to 2017, 2018, when she really first broke on the scene as a rotation player in Dallas. Um, at a glance, you know, her stats are, they're, they're okay. You know, 6.9 points per game, 7.7 rebounds per nice. game, one point six. nice, yeah, that's right, 1.6 assists per game. True shooting of 52.2%, which for a WNBA player is, you know, it's okay. It's not outstanding. Um, 1.1 stocks per game. For those of you who do not know, know that term, that's steals plus blocks, um, basically defensive plays. She started 11 of 12 games, played an average of 28.7 minutes per game. And this is a player who, Steven, I think, first of all, she has, she, she's on her third head coach in Dallas now, and her role has mostly been the same throughout those coaching regime shifts which I think speaks to what she brings to this team, which is being a complimentary offensive player. You know, there are not going to be any wings lineups in which Kayla Thornton is going to be better than like the fourth or fifth option, right? And at first glance, she doesn't really fit the roster particularly well because she's not a great three-point shooter. Career, she only shoots 32.1% three, nor is she really going to make many plays for others. Which is exactly what she's shooting this year so far. Yes, exactly. So, so pretty good, pretty good number right there, right? Um, however, you know, when you think of Kayla Thornton, how many players in the WNBA play that grit role better than Kayla Thornton does? Like, she's she's tough as nails. 
Um, she has she's plays on a team that has a lot of players that want to shoot the basketball, and she's okay with not shooting the basketball. You know, you got to have stuff like that. And uh, you got to have players who don't really need the ball in their hands to make an impact. Um, particularly one thing that really jumps out at me, though, if we're talking about stats, she's currently averaging 2.4 offensive rebounds per game, um, which for a six foot one forward is pretty darn good. I looked at WMA.com. Of course, these numbers are out of date already, but um, when I did look, players Kayla Thornton is currently ahead of an offensive rebounding rate. Neko Gumake, Dierka Hamby, Cheyenne Parker, Nalissa Smith, Brianna Turner, Liz Cambage, Asia Wilson, Queen Egbo, Tina Charles, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart, some players who are obviously much taller, but also just really good rebounders. You know, it, it really speaks to what she does on the floor because, I mean, like I said, she's a gritty, tough player. And she's really she's willing to do the work that I think not a lot of other players on this Wings team are equipped to do. Um, As often, a player who is shorter than the player that she's matched up against. Right, right, and that's that's one thing I was going to get to is that she has defended the five sometimes and done a pretty good job at it, all things considered. Um, I think the one thing that stands out to me uh, earlier in the season when she was uh, when they were playing against the Phoenix Mercury, she was the one who was defending Tina Charles, and she did a really good job of pushing Charles off her spot and kind of encouraging her to take those uh, inefficient fadeaway two-point jump shots. Granted, not every player is going to settle for those like Tina Charles is, but I think just the overall defensive intelligence of Kayla Thornton, um, knowing how to guard a wide variety of players on the perimeter and in the post, she's what I would call their team's, uh, the wing's most trustworthy defender. I don't know if she's their best. Like, Alicia Gray is pretty good, I think, and Satu Sabli is probably their highest upside defender. But in my opinion, right now, Thornton's got more defensive versatility than either of them because you can comfortably put her either on most perimeter players or most post players or most bigs. I, right? I mean, I feel like you you watch basketball games and the term can guard one through five gets thrown out a lot in way too often in too inappropriate often. Uh, situations. But Kayla Thornton, actually, you do feel good about her unless it's just like the absolute lightning fastest guard you know she's gonna give pretty much any player she's up against a, a pretty hard time yeah so yeah defensive versatility you love to see it and i think that's you know i mean like i said before like i kind of led the led with this she, you've had three coaching staffs now or three head coaches at least stick with kayla thornton as a high minute rotation player that's got us that's got to speak to what she does on the court that doesn't really show up in the box score or doesn't show up in the basic areas of the box score right um so and the the other stat I have to point out is that uh, only she and Isabel Harrison, kind of surprising there, have a better defensive on-off rating among wing starters. So, you know, I think heading into the season, we were kind of questioning, okay, who's going to kind of take a minutes cut among these wings players? Because you figure Satu Sabli is going to be demanding more minutes, figuratively demanding, of course. Um, they might want to try to get Charlie Collier and Iwakuir and Tier McCallum more minutes. We see how that's worked out, right? Kayla Thornton currently averaging 28.7 minutes a game. Um, and I think there's a good reason why, because she is a beyond the stat all-star. Yeah, not to go too heavy on the, the cliches here, but she is just a player that you have a hard time keeping off the floor because she's going mean, she to play harder than, you know, the players whose minutes she's competing for. And you had mentioned that, you know, she's kind of a tough fit for this roster uh, because she's not an elite shooter, you know, kind of a average to slightly below average three-point shooter. But she's also in the same right, just a player that you could throw on any team in the league and her role is going to be exactly the same as it is in Dallas, you know, a low usage, tough defensive player who is going to steal a couple offensive rebounds for you and, and just kind of make things easier for the other defensive players who maybe are, are not, you don't want to uh, playing up against the other team's best player. You know, she'll just give you 18 to 25 really solid minutes um, without taking too much off the table for anyone else on the team. Yeah, I mean, she, she's not a she's, she's not a player who really takes too many risks and, and makes makes too many mistakes either, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say you know sometimes maybe she takes more like mid range long twos than you kind of want from a player of her archetype, but that's really it. You know that that's kind of the only critique I would have because otherwise she's just exactly what you need this type of player to be. Yeah, every team would love to have uh, Kayla Thornton. So, um, uh, which player would you like to go cover next? Let's go to uh, Elizabeth Williams, a player who is adjusting from a starting role to more of a complementary backup role, only playing 17 minutes per game in Washington this season, 45% from the field, 
um, for someone taking all of her shots at the rim. The type of statistic you may think is a little bit disappointing, but Elizabeth Williams, I think, is just a player that is helping this Washington team in a lot of ways. They get killed on the glass a little bit when she's out there, and that is certainly noticeable, but a lot of that is when she's playing alongside Tiana Hawkins or or Maisha Hines-Allen. They continue to be an excellent rebounding team when it's Elizabeth Williams and Elena Deladon, which is a combination that that plays pretty frequently. And, you know, this is definitely a small sample size. I tweeted something similar out the other day, but Elena Deladon and Elizabeth Williams on the court together in 40 minutes this season, 87.7 offensive rating, which is is not amazing, but 79.5 defensive rating. So, you know, just about a plus eight. And then when Maisha Hines-Allen and Elizabeth Williams share the court together, 55 offensive rating, which is exceedingly low, and 100 defensive rating. So you look at Elizabeth Williams just like on-off numbers, and you think, you know, this this team is not better when she's on the court. But a lot of that is just lineups that are not necessarily conducive to productivity, no matter, you know, who who they're playing, really. That's a good point. I've noticed that she's often sharing the court with Maisha Hines-Allen, and I'm not exactly sure why. Not one to question Mike Tebow's coaching or anything like that, but... They don't really seem to do anything for each other, at least offensively, you know. Um, so, Stephen, with those uh, with those stats in mind, why is Elizabeth Williams a beyond the stat all-star? Well, I think she, you know, along with Shakira Austin, of course, just gives this team like 40 minutes of plus defense at the center position, which I think is, is probably the most important defensive position. Yes. She's a really solid pick and roll center defensively a pretty solid rim protector just in help defense overall and a really really great defensive playmaker um she has an outstanding block rate eight percent block rate which is uh among the highest you'll see in the WNBA. she of course is an imperfect offensive player to be sure uh but she can do certain things really well for you she's in the 75th percentile as a roller this season Really, her struggles offensively come from, you know, struggling as a post-up option, three points on 11 possessions posting up, but you can simply just not run post-ups for a player. I had, I, <laughs> I know it's sort of, it's the WNBA, so every center, no matter how good you are, kind of gets some post-up touches uh, back to the basket. But, you know, I just think you're you're not really losing much in the open court when she's on there. She surprisingly, I think already has more transition possessions than Shakira Austin this season in in not as many minutes. And, you know, I just think come playoff time, there's going to be a game or two where you just need her to be your closing center just because she's a a little bit more technically sound. You can feel better about running a a drop pick and roll with her than Shakira Austin, where you're maybe playing a little bit more aggressively and hedging a lot and and then maybe getting into like some four on three situations. But just just, fouls. Yeah, or, or too many fouls. Yeah, that, that's right as well. Um, but, you know, just with her defensive intelligence and, and how good she is on that end, I mean, I, I it was just a really great pickup for Washington. When you mentioned the pick-and-roll numbers versus the post-up numbers, that's something that – did we talk about this? I, I don't remember. When, when we first heard that they were signing Elizabeth Williams, I think a major reason why we both liked this signing was because the offensive environment was simply – night and day compared to that what it was in Atlanta those past couple seasons um whereas Atlanta really didn't have that much outside shooting had a lot of guards who wanted to shoot rather than pass um but here in Washington she, she was almost always playing with a traditional big at the four alongside yeah her. just not optimal offensive lineups particularly for someone who like you said is going to take the vast majority of her shots at the rim but now in Washington you've got a team really almost a culture that emphasizes crisp ball movement and floor spacing so even if she's not, you know, outstanding finishing at the rim, she's going to be getting much better looks at the rim rolling to the hoop or even just not necessarily off the pick and roll, but just in space. Um, I think the floor is going to be better spaced for her when she's got like a one-on-one matchup on the glass because um, I think she is a pretty decent rebounder. Like she's not the best because of her size. She, but... She's a really plus offensive rebounder for sure. Yeah, and that, that's that's kind of what I'm talking about here. So if you have, like I said, if she gets a, a one-on-one matchup like with a with a guard or a forward or something like on a switch or something like that. The Mystics can be content with letting her take advantage of that matchup, at least on the glass. So yes, I think the offensive environment, even though these lineups may not be completely optimal for her, it's much, much, much better for Elizabeth Williams' individual offensive success than it was in Atlanta. And also just as sort of a quick aside, just, you know, props to Mike Tebow for being one of the few coaches. I think that 
runs out sensible lineups almost all the time. I know you're saying, you know, Maisha Hines Allen and Elizabeth Williams don't really complement each other too well. But to me, that that's really just because Maisha Hines Allen has been struggling so much struggling, to, to be yeah. efficient. But, um, I mean, how many other coaches in the league would be playing Shakira Austin and Elizabeth Williams together for a couple minutes per game because they're both major rotation players? You know, I mean, just... Izzy Harrison and Tierra McCowan have shared the yeah, floor in five yeah. different games. Kia Vaughn and Nas Hillman play together all the time. Queen Egbo and Elena Coates played together in three games this season. Like so God, many other so coaches bad. would throw out these no chance lineups with two strictly paint bound centers. And Shakira Austin and Elizabeth Williams have played zero minutes together this season. So, like I said, a culture of spacing the floor. Anything else on Elizabeth Williams? No, I don't think so. We can move on. All right, next player I wanted to nominate here uh, from my Chicago Sky, Rebecca Gardner. Uh, at a glance, this, okay, this one may, may be kind of exceeding our uh, beyond the stats all-star uh, kind of cliche there because her stats are, are pretty decent. You know, she's averaging 9.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, 1.1 assists per game, 63.4 true shooting percentage. Wow, that's, that's really high. 2.1 stocks per game, currently averaging 22.9 minutes per game. Uh, Gardner, as you have no doubt heard, a 31-year-old rookie. Uh, she was a late arrival to Chicago because her Spain, her season in Spain uh, for Spar Girona was running a little late. Um, but when she did show up, you know that kind of spelled the end of the team's patchwork ring, wing rotation. Uh, both Kayla Davis and Annalie Maley were kind of out the door there. Um, when I was looking at Gardner's synergy numbers, like I knew she was having a pretty good start to her WNBA career. I was not expecting this. She ranks in the 95th percentile in the pick-and-roll ball handler. 98th percentile finishing around the basket. I think, Stephen, the, the first thing that comes to mind when you watch Rebecca Gardner play is just how good she is defensively. And I realize if you're listening, this is probably, this is already a theme when we're talking about this episode because defense is just simply harder to quantify than offense. But um, Gardner is a player who her impact on defense is really felt. You know, she's really, really active in the passing lanes. She uses that long wingspan to her advantage. She ranks fifth in the WNBA currently in steal percentage. 3.7%, so that's pretty darn good. And just, you know, you, you know James Wade, this is something we brought up a lot in the past years. He likes to play these defensive-minded lineups if Allie Quigley is not a favorable matchup on defense. Um, in the past, we've seen her go him go with a lot of Diamond to Shields and Kalia Copper lineups just for defensive purposes. To me, I think Gardner is already a better defender than DeShields ever was. Like, you can legitimately throw out a defensive-minded lineup, not just saying, like, okay, Quigley's off the bet. Quigley's off the court. This is a defensive-minded lineup, just out of principle. Gardner will actually go out there and make a play on defense. Um, and, and isn't going to fall asleep. Yes, yes. She's good both on and off the basketball. Just speaking to her, her activity in general, um, I think offensively she plays the baseline pretty well. You know, she moves without the ball pretty well. Uh, she makes herself available if the teammate picks up the dribble, which is, like, that's a that's kind of a, a no-brainer right there. But it is a pretty underrated skill. I think there was a game, was it against the Connecticut Sun, where she had a wide-open uh, cut to the basket because Emma Miesemann drew two defenders on the baseline and Gardner made herself available or something like that. I mean, the, the 98th percentile around the basket, those aren't all dribble drives, right? Granted, she's got a very quick first step. But she's got, and tell me if you've seen this also, Stephen, she's got a really interesting around-the-rim scoring package. Yeah, she does have a very creative, um, and I mean, obviously she has a like great length and wingspan, so it's easier for her than maybe some other players to finish around, you know, her other players of her position because she can just, she obviously is a, a great athlete, I think, and has that length, so it's hard for opposing players to contest her but it it's not just sort of you know the the easy ones right she she has uh creativity as, as i was saying it, it's she's i've been really super impressed also i could not believe that uh rebecca gardner went to ucla so all of spargarona's american players not only yeah, yeah. kennedy burke and uh, michaela onionwede but uh, rebecca gardner also from ucla that's that, that's funny that's a good observation uh because kennedy burke yeah also a teammate of rebecca gardner but yeah all uh, Spargerona imports went to UCLA. That, that is pretty funny. But yeah, going back to what you said, um, she has some creativity around the basket, and she's got patience around the basket too, which is really impressive. I think a lot of times when you see these players who are really explosive off the bounce or really gifted off the dribble players, um, you'll see them kind of rush shots at the basket or you know not time it correctly. 
particularly in the WNBA, you know, when you, you really need to have your footwork on point and, and your, your finishing ability on point. You can't just out-athlete the defenses. Um, but Gardner, I mean, you see her, she'll get into the lane and if a shot isn't there, you know, she'll she'll pivot with her pivot foot and attempt to finish with her left hand. And as the numbers bear out, usually it goes in with her left hand. Those are two things that, I mean, those are two veteran player things, both the pivot foot, patience with the pivot foot, and finishing with the left hand. Granted, I, I, I must plead ignorance here. I have, I did not see Rebecca Garner when she played at UCLA. I did not see Rebecca Garner play overseas in her first couple seasons overseas. But those are two things, again, that I think really speak to her veteran presence offensively. So she's not just a defensive stopper. Although most of her plays, most of her impressive plays may come on defense, she's not a total net negative on offense. No, she's not suffocating things for you out there. I mean, she doesn't have the smoothest jump shot. And uh, we talked last time we recorded that she's maybe a little bit more comfortable from a step or two inside the three-point line than she is behind it. But because, as you were saying, she's such a great cutter and a great finisher, you still have to keep tabs on her. You can't just ignore her like you would like a D.D. Richards or something like that because she is going to just get behind the defense and finish at the rim over um, tough contests. Or get an offensive rebound. Or get an offensive rebound, yeah. She's, she's a valuable player and similar to Elizabeth Williams, one where I can see her maybe closing a playoff game or two because she's just giving you something that the other options on the roster just can't give you, you know what I mean? Oh, I definitely could see that, particularly with Ellie Quigley kind of uncharacteristically struggling shooting the basketball. Um, James Wade has not been afraid to throw Gardner in like three, four minutes into the game, and he's not been afraid to close games with her either. So that's something I, I definitely would uh, will leave on the table here. Now, the other thing I wanted to address, something that you you briefly brought up here, her three-point shot doesn't look great. You know, It's kind of flat. Um, I don't think she has that. She hasn't really showcased that much of an in-between game either. But here's the thing. She doesn't really hunt bad shots, though. You know, you can say like someone, this is, she's obviously the poster child, but like Ariki Gumbawale, really, really good shooter, but she like goes out of her way to take inefficient shots. Gardner's kind of the opposite of that. You know, like her three-point shot doesn't look great, but they're all wide open and they're all really good looks. Maybe for a reason that they're open, right? But they're all within the rhythm of the offense. They're shots that I would live with her taking. Um, likewise, she doesn't actively hunt those off-the-dribble long two-point shots. She doesn't often pull up when, you know, a defender is going to the screen. She'll just pull it back out and pass the ball, which for a player on the Chicago Sky team that has so many good playmakers, you want them making plays with the basketball. You don't want Rebecca Gardner pulling up for a 20-foot jump shot. You want Emma Miesman passing the ball to her off the cut. You know what I'm saying? So, But, but also for a team that, I mean, for a player that, you know, is used to such a, a larger offensive role in, in her overseas team and, and against really, really high competition, Yep. You know, you just never really watch them and think, man, Rebecca Gardner's getting real thirsty out there with her shot. Like, it, it just almost never happens. She's she's always kind of putting her shots within the flow of the offense. It really, you know, it, it really makes sense now that the Sky were willing to keep her on their training camp roster even when she was late. You know what I'm saying? Like, like James Wade identified this player because um, he lives in France during the offseason, and he watched her play in EuroLeague. He's like, how has this player not been on a WNBA roster before? Well, after watching Gardner play a handful of games for my Sky, I had the same question. Uh, she just makes things happen. You know, that's that's kind of another cliche thrown out there. It's kind of surface level analysis, but it is true in Garner's case. The one thing, the one weakness I've seen from her is that she turns the ball over a ton. And maybe this is just, I mean, it is small sample size, but her turnover rate, 20.7%, is actually higher than her usage rate, 19.4%. That's not good at all. Do, do you have those, her assist to turnover numbers in front of you? Yes. Uh, per basketball reference, assist rate, only 7.9%. Okay, so that's that's not good. That's got to get better. Um, although her role is very much that of a play finisher rather than a playmaker. I guess, I mean, not, not to make any excuses, that would kind of, that actually, I think, kind of makes the turnover rate even less acceptable. I don't know how many Sky games you've watched about with Gardner, Steven, but it seems like a lot of her turnovers are unforced, like either stepping out of bounds or, or, or stepping over the timeline or, or something weird like that, which is interesting because the rest of her game, like, she has a really solid feel for the game, so... Maybe it's just a matter of not being fully acclimated in their offense. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, every every other aspect of Gardner's game, I mean, I've just been blown away by. I do expect the true shooting percentage to kind of come back down to earth a little bit. But um, really, yeah, really if encouraged. she continues to shoot 62% from two, I think you guys have really found something. Yes. Well, I mean, I know we found something. But yes, you know, you're right. You're right. Uh, s- some room for uh, regression here. But yeah, all in all, I've been really impressed with Gardner, Gardner's play. She's come and made an impact immediately. 
on both ends of the court, and she really provides a valuable complementary type of role for a Sky team that has a lot of high-end talent, but was really searching for another wing player to kind of fit into that niche. So yeah, Rebecca Gardner. Another player who did not play in the WNBA last season and whose surface level numbers uh, probably overqualify her a little bit for this list, Christy Wallace, uh, her first season in the WNBA, almost 36% from three on four attempts per 36 minutes, 47% from two on six attempts per 36 minutes. So, you know, she's scoring the ball pretty well. Um, But the reason I had her on this list is one, you know, she is only scoring like eight points a game or whatever. And her on off numbers are actually pretty tough. They're, they're not very good, but um, for her to be second on this team in total minutes, I think really speaks to how much this coaching staff trusts her, which I, I think is pretty remarkable for a 26 year old rookie and one, unlike Rebecca Gardner, Eric does not really have a ton of overseas experience. You know, I think she's maybe played one plus seasons in the WNBL. It's not like she is a Euro league veteran who's been playing against the best competition for, for she's had a really rough go of injuries. Unfortunately, I believe she's torn the same ACL twice or maybe it was one ACL injury directly after the other. I I believe it was the same one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that really sucks. I mean, it's really hard to get. And in fact, that, that just speaks to her resilience, right? That just speaks to how cool it is that she's, in the WNBA now, because that's not an easy thing to overcome. And it's been a little up and down, of course. Um, like I said, her on-off numbers are are not amazing, but that's pretty much the case for this entire dream starting group. The, pretty much all of their on-off numbers are, are bad. Parker's are okay, and uh, Erica Wheeler's are okay, but their overall starting wing group, really, of, of Ryan Howard, Christy Wallace, and Nia Coffey, really, really struggle to score the ball when those three are out there. 80 offensive rating uh in large part because the team is just shooting 28 percent from three when those three are out there that's not good coffee particularly has has been really struggling to find her shot and you know maybe you would hope for a little bit of a higher usage for such a high minute player uh she's only at 17 percent usage coming into today but she's just a nice connective player who doesn't really take anything off the table for their other primary options, mostly, you know, Ryan Howard and, and Erica Wheeler, but also Cheyenne Parker as kind of the, the back to the basket big or your pick and roll big. Um, she can space the floor. I am concerned that she has not been effective actually putting the ball in the basket in transition, only 19 points in 31 transition possessions. That's the fifth percentile league wide, but the 31 possessions isn't is pretty encouraging and like this team just needs players that, that can get out in transition uh, as as we've seen the last few dream seasons have just been kind of uh, dreadful half court teams that, you know, just walk the ball up and, and don't really take advantage of those easy opportunities. But, you know, this team desperately needs shooting and, and she's in the 70th percentile in spot ups for a team that's in the bottom four overall in the league in spot up efficiency. So, you know, Christy Wallace, I think it's hard to be anything but really impressed with what she's given you to this point in the season. It's interesting you mentioned the Dreams' struggles, uh, at least in relation to their their starting wing group. Um, Ryan Howard's numbers, individual numbers, are, are pretty good so far, obviously. But as a group, they've, they've been struggling with their on-off court splits. But you, you, you made an interesting uh, point there about Wallace kind of being a connecting player. Um, she doesn't need the ball in her hands to be effective, which I think you could say that for just about any player we're talking about today, but that that's part of it, you know. And look at who else they have on their roster. As you said, um, Howard obviously can be having the ball in her hands a lot. Cheyenne Parker is going to be getting the ball in the post a lot. Um, unfortunately, before Erica Wheeler got hurt, you know, you had Wheeler, McDonald, players who, again, need the ball in their hands to be effective. Wallace isn't one of those players. No, she's just a nice kind of... You know, it's it's a little bit of a cliche term, but three and D, and I do think she's been pretty good on, on defense, and obviously the shooting is there. You know, her her overall efficiency is is not very good, mostly because she just can't hit a free throw, but she's in the 60th percentile league-wide in her effective field goal percentage. It's just the true shooting that's not very good uh, because she's oddly at 62% from the free throw line, which you would think a 36% three-point shooter. That's going to go up. You know, you, you just hit those at a little bit of a, a better clip, but... I mean, she's just kind of an outlet that this team sort of needs that isn't going to, you know, not to kind of turn this on on another player's poor performance, but Nia Coffey, for example, like when she gets it, she's either going to take the three-point shot or step into a long two. You know, there's not a ton of extra passing coming from that spot. So just turning kind of 
good to decent looks and to better looks, um, you know, as a spot up player, I think is pretty important for this group that I don't think has a a ton of collective passing. You know who came to mind when you said that? Alicia Clark. Because that's one thing. That's one thing you said. Alicia Clark always does. She turns good looks into better ones, and it doesn't always have to be for herself, right? That's something that Christy Wallace does as well. Yeah, for sure. I don't think. Yeah, she's not quite. I don't think the passer that that Clark is. But yeah, same concept for sure. But same concept. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't have too much more to add about her. Do you want to go to your next player? Yeah, uh, my next player is actually going to be my last one because um, it's okay. So, full disclosure, it, this is a more challenging exercise than I would have anticipated because one, there just aren't a lot of players in the league, and two, um, there are even it's even more difficult to find players who, you know, aren't contributing much in the box score but still have a solid impact on the team. But, yeah, exactly. Um, the the rare combination of the stats don't look very good, but you still think they're helping the team. I mean, we could talk about a a bunch of players who have good stats or a bunch of players who have bad stats and, and maybe aren't helping, but that's not really what the exercise is. No, no. So I, I think, I think we, uh, we struck a good uh, compromise here. Um, anyway, last player I have to talk about here, drum roll, please. Uh, Kennedy Burke of the Washington mystics. And this is a very proud moment for the double down WNBA podcast, because Burke is a player who both Steven and I have really been a fan of even Kennedy if she Burke hive. Not, yeah, that's exactly. Hashtag Kennedy Burke hive. Um, hasn't maybe been that productive thus far in her WNBA career, but, um, fellow UCLA and, and, and Spargerona player, um, to Rebecca Garner and Michaela Onyanwede, uh, the Washington Mystics actually picked her up off of waivers despite her being out of the country. So that says to me that their coaches saw something in Burke that they really liked. And so far they've, she's, they've been rewarded, um, at a glance, Nothing too spectacular. Seven points a game, 2.6 rebounds, and 0.7 assists per game. True shooting is okay, uh, 54.8%. 1.8 stocks per game. She started four out of 10 games, played 17 and a half minutes for them so far. So kind of pedestrian stuff there. Um, but one thing that does stand out in statistics, she is leading the WNBA in steal rate, 4.5%. Um, wow, not I did biggest... not realize that. I did not look at your notes before. There you go. There you go. Well, see, we all learn something uh, new every day. So, yeah, Kennedy Burke currently leading the WNBA in steal rate, 4.5%. Granted, the sample size isn't the biggest, you know, but if you compare it to her last season in Indiana, which is 2020, when they, she played roughly the same amount of minutes, her steal rate in Indiana in 2020 was only 1.8%. So she has more than doubled that. As you like to say, if you throw the ball anywhere in Kennedy Burke's area, she's going to pick it off. But it seems like the Mystics this season have just kind of been encouraging her to roam around a little bit more on defense and really take advantage of that long wingspan and that defensive anticipation. I want to say maybe in the past seasons, both in Indiana and Seattle, they looked at Burke as... Actually, now that I say it, I'm not sure what Seattle really wanted Burke to do. Like, she was kind of a the odd woman out in that wing rotation. But in, in Indiana, she was more of just like a, a, a stout on-ball defender, whereas the Mystics are clearly letting her go out there and create plays on defense and it has really paid off for them yeah it's a role i think she's well suited for something that we talked about a few years ago before her second season in indiana when she did have a pretty outstanding steal rate over two percent and then the two percent block rate as well that first season like you just were really encouraged of what she could be as a a defensive playmaker you know before kind of a, a couple quiet seasons in that regard and you know, just think of like where this Mystics team would be if they didn't have Kennedy Burke, you know, Alicia Clark, who we we love, but has only played half their games, you know, before today, she's been dealing with a foot injury and then maybe landed on the health and safety protocols. list. Yeah. Health I, safe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, availability has been pretty tough for the Mystics who also, you know, are putting Elena Deladon. They're being very cautious with her return, uh, rightfully so, I think. But, you know, if they didn't have Kennedy Burke, those non Alicia Clark games, you know, you're talking about three guard lineups with Rui Mashida or Shatori Walker Kimbro. And I, I think, you know, you're just much better off having Kennedy Burke out there for a few different reasons. That's exactly right. And that's, that's one of the few reasons I put Burke on this list and at least wanted to speak to her value to the mystics. Like, yeah, they claimed her off waivers, but she's playing a significant role for this team, particularly defensively. Um, but one thing like small sample size considered, um, there are some kind of weird standard percentiles that I expect to kind of regress, she ranks in the 96th percentile on jump shots and the 7th percentile on shots around the basket. Kind of the opposite of what you would expect Kennedy Burke, but that's fine. De- um, definitely the opposite of what she was doing in EuroLeague this season. Yes, yes. EuroLeague, um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, she, I think she noticeably improved 
over there. But it's it's really hard to take to look at a WNBA player who, let's be honest, wasn't the most effective offensive player thus far in her WNBA career. Go, goes overseas, is clearly the alpha dog on that team, um, scoring like crazy, putting the ball in the basket like crazy, and saying, okay, well, it's a zero league. You know, that, that stuff doesn't always translate back to the WNBA. I think Burke has improved, like legitimately. Granted, she's not going to be shooting. She's currently shooting 40% from three. I don't think, given her kind of slow, weird release, that's going to continue. But the good news is she's taking 42.4% of her shots from distance. That's a career high. I think offensively, this is probably her ideal role on this team, right? Yeah, I don't think you really kind of want to overtax her or put her in a larger role than what she's currently playing. You know, she's the, I guess, first or second wing off the bench. You know, Shatora Walker-Kemper is playing a little bit more, but kind of in, in some absences because Cloud has missed some time and stuff like that, and Alicia Clark as well. But, you know, she you, you're not really asking too much of her. Maybe the only thing you could say is that this... Washington second unit because Heinz Allen is is struggling so mightily offensively like they maybe could use a little bit more of an offensively focused player on that you know someone that can just get their bucket a a little bit more reliably Um, but that's more of a kind of a collective issue than it's a Kennedy Burke issue I would say definitely and that's kind of what I was what I was hinting at here and one thing I wanted to point out here is how her role has has changed over the years with these different teams in 2020 13.4% of her possessions came as a pick and roll ball handler that's now 6.3%, and like that's just too small of a sample size to even consider. So it's like the Mystics have basically just taken the ball out of her hands, which is fine because she's not really going to be making a play for, for anyone else anyway. But um, the one thing I really wanted to to leave our listeners with here, 27% of Burke's offensive possessions are coming in transition. Uh, that may be inflated due to the steal rate, but, I mean, that's, that's fine because just because your offense comes from defense doesn't make it bad offense, right? Um, comparatively speaking in 2020, only 12.4% of her possessions came in transition. So once again, she's more than doubling that. And and I think she, she just gives this team, I mean, I wouldn't say that they are like, you know, last year's Seattle storm in terms of lacking athleticism, but she does, I think just give this team a little bit more athleticism than they might have, uh, when she's not in the game. Exactly. And you know, the, the mystics as a team, they've got the second to lowest, transition frequency in the WNBA, 11.1%. So to have at least one player who can go out there and really make a play on the basketball and to turn a defensive possession into an offensive transition possession, that's a good thing to have. And that's why I think Burke is going to continue getting minutes, even though, I mean, you've seen hints lately of Tebow going offense for defense and, and kind of uh, preferring Shatori Walker-Kimbrough to Kennedy Burke in, in offensive situations. But going back to what you said originally about Deladon and Clark, as game games missed candidates for the rest of the season, you got to have a combo forward who can contribute on defense. And Burke is that player again, complimentary player on offense, but they've got her playing a, a role that I think suits her very well. And defensively, she's having an absolutely stellar season. So uh, I think that makes her a beyond the stats all-star. All right. Last player I have here, the player I have probably the least to say about, but still wanted to, to shout her out. Shanae Gumake, a player that you, you had kind of called me out, when we were doing our Sparks preview for... Uh, Did I? <laughs> well, you said, you really don't want Sinead to play. And I just didn't think that she really had a high level of, of play in her anymore. And, you know, she's sh- certainly not the Sinead Agumake of yesteryear. Her 50% true shooting this year is way down fr- from sort of the heyday of, you know, the mid-60s of her kind of peak Connecticut seasons. Under 13 points per 36 minutes, you know, down from over 20 her final season in Connecticut, she is falling a ton, you know, over six falls per 36 minutes, but she has the best on off difference on the team, at least as of, I didn't check it after the Aces game. Uh, um, but mostly because like this team just cannot get a stop when Shania Gumake is not out there. And, and maybe this is just kind of being the direct sub for, for Liz Cambage, who I think has, has had a pretty disappointing defensive season, but the defense is 12 points per 100 possessions worse when Shania Gumake sits than when she's on the floor i'm wondering how much of that has to do with liz cambay's just not being in good condition i mean it's it's, it's been a struggle <laughs> she has a struggle. she yeah. hasn't looked great out there i mean no. she's been as efficient offensively as as ever just in the you know the true shooting and stuff like that but it's just it's been a different player for sure on defense it just has not been acceptable okay so here's 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 my follow-up question amanda's lab not on the team this year she's been full season suspension how would looking back on the Sparks offseason, 
obviously there was really no way they could have brought Zowie in, uh, apparently. But how, how does Shanae from this season kind of compare to Zowie B last season? Would you, is there a preference there? Oh, Shanae, I think. I mean, sure. it's nice to have a floor spacing center, but if you're, I think most of the time, especially at center, you know, if you're going to have a, a, a one-way player, I guess, I guess exclusively at center, at almost any other position, I would not say this is true, but if you're going to have a one-way player, I'd rather that player be a good defensive player than an okay. offensive player. Okay. Um, and I do think Amanda Zowie B is a pretty dreadful defensive player. You know, she's a good rebounder and stuff like that, but you're just, you know, the pick and roll and, and the help instincts and stuff like that are, are just not there. So I would say that Shanae this year has overperformed what you could expect your typical Amanda Zowie B season to be. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, no, I, I agree. And that's, I guess it's, uh, I, I can see some people disagreeing and be like, well, Amanda Zoe she can shoot the three, Sinead can't. And yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and this team needs spacing, for sure. This team does need spacing. Yeah, for sure. Very weird. Like, they, they prior to their butts getting kicked by the Aces the other day, they were actually, were they top three offense, top four offense, something like that? Yeah, they were third. And I mean, it just goes to show you how one, 80 possession game can really throw off your yeah. 100 per 100 possession numbers because now they're back down to sixth or whatever it was okay yeah everything everything comes back around in the end but yeah i, I think shanae i'm not sure what i really expected from her this season um certainly not the shanae of of yesteryear her glory days in connecticut i think i think for one i mean i think her her body is just has just seen a lot of mileage on it with all those lower body injuries but yeah, I mean, she has been reasonably productive. The thing that I worry about with her is just the durability. You know, I mean, she's already missed a couple games here and there. Um, I'd expect her to miss a few more just based on recent history, recent injury history, rather. Um, and and it's, you... it's always something where, like, you know, she, you're you're losing her for a couple games at a time. You know what I mean? It's not like she yeah. has these season-ending... I mean, she obviously has had season, you know, whole season injuries before, but recently in her kind of LA tenure, it's just injuries that take her out for two games or six games. You know, it's, it's a lot of injuries piling up. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. And what, what I, what I'm interested in seeing now is if Shanae has another, you know, like injury that keeps her out for say five or six games, what kind of domino effect does that have in the Sparks rotation? Cause now you have to play Liz Cambage, I'm assuming more minutes, or you have to go with Lily Nelson Adota for more than zero minutes, and I know what, what how you feel about that. So for a player who doesn't have again outstanding individual numbers, if you take Shanae Gumaki out of the out of the equation, the Sparks are probably in worse shape, right? It's it the domino effect. I think is a, a good way to put it. A couple more numbers I wanted to just throw out or, or observations. Okay. I guess you know they are they're turning opponents over like crazy when Shanae is out there and they don't force any when she sits. And that is definitely kind of the, the Shanae to Liz transition, yes. right? Yes. I mean, she's, she's a very handsy and, um, uh, what is it? I guess she's a, she's a good defensive playmaker. I don't really know what I was trying she's to say. She's not like super mobile, but she can at least be a little more disruptive, right? I mean, it's like kind of in the same Bree Jones mold where she just has really terrific hands and, and oh, timing okay. with kind of getting into the passing lanes and stuff like that. And, with NECA and Shanae on the floor together, the Sparks uh, have a positive 10 net rating, 104 offense, and uh, a 93.8 defense. So that lineup has, has been pretty effective. Granted, that's probably mostly against bench units, but they've closed some games together too. And, you know, it's it's just as, as much as I've been kind of a, a Liz is not the problem type of uh, defender in the past, you know, personal issues aside, obviously we don't stick up for any of that, but you know, just in terms of the on the court product, you know, that, that hasn't been the case this year. They are, they have been better with, with Shanae in the game rather than Liz Cambage. Very interesting. Something to keep an eye on moving forward. Okay. I think that's going to do it for our, our beyond the stats, all-stars are the players really took notes on. Are there any players who you wanted to put on here, but you know, just couldn't make a good case for, cause I have a couple. Yeah, uh, and I think we we share a couple as well. Um, I would think D Rob was a player that I had considered, as well as Allie Quigley. Um, you know, she was not shooting. She obviously has not had the, the offensive start that she wanted to. Yeah. Uh, but those two players were were definitely in, con- in consideration to just kind of dive into a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Quigley has been struggling shooting the basketball, and she does still add value to this guy. But um, that might kind of be too obvious of a pick, or. 
on the other hand, may not be able to make a case for, which is yeah, she, she's also way too accomplished to to kind of make that. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I wanted to put Stephanie Talbot on here because she had a really good start to the season. Unfortunately, she landed in health and safety protocols and hasn't really done anything since she came back. It's re- been really unfortunate. You can tell she's still struggling out there for Seattle. Um, yeah, Daniel Robinson is an interesting name. Quigley. I mean, if I can just talk about Talbot for sure, for a minute, sure. like this this take obviously comes with a lot of priors based on how I've always felt about these two players. But I, I do just want Seattle for a couple games to just swap Stephanie Talbot's role and Gabby Williams role and just see how it goes. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't really think you're going to lose all that much with your defensive numbers with Talbot playing with starters. And we know that kind of Talbot trying to run the second unit just isn't, it's not really working. Like her being kind of the primary option on that second unit is, is, is failing and granted there's not a lot of offensive talent on there and they played some extremely flawed lineups you know with two centers a lot of times and stuff like that but I just still kind of think that even though she's been shooting uh, struggling shooting the ball like Steph Talbot just makes the most sense with the rest of your starters and Gabby Williams can just maybe give you some different things than Talbot could as sort of your engine of your second unit offense with the rest of your bench unit out there I'm almost surprised they haven't tried doing that already them landing in the health health and safety protocols probably uh, messed that up a little bit. But, you know, with the Storm kind of, I'd say, underperforming relative to preseason expectations, um, I'm kind of surprised Noel Quinn hasn't tried. Particularly offensively. Like, they've just been so yeah. such a bad offense. Yeah, that's it's been really weird for them. But um, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, you want to sign us off here? Sure. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts as well. Uh, You can refer us to a friend who likes the WNBA if you know anyone that's in the the market for a new podcast. Hey, friends. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, this was a fun one. Very fun. Love doing exercises like this. Um, So we cannot be included on... Oh, they had, nobody talks about, you know, player X or player Y or so-and-so. We're talking about them. We talked right? about them, baby. We talked about them. So uh, uh, take care, everybody. We will talk to you next time.